0: To the RPC Sermons podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at RoswellPrez.org. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning at chapter 8, verse 31. Listen to the word of the Lord. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life Will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, they will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the Word of God. For the people of God, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May these words be words that resonate with us. Help us to understand them and apply them that we may continue to grow as your disciples, following you with our every step. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I wonder how many of you remember the very first video games. Now, I'm dating myself a little bit. I have teenagers, and I'm, when I'm with the Slocums, I see some teenagers. Their video games are very different than the ones that we started with. I remember when my father brought this contraption home and connected it to our television, which, by the way, was a piece of furniture and not something that hung on a wall. And he hung this, con- he, he connected this thing, and then on the screen, in full black and white were two little white lines, one on the right side and one on the left, and on a little white ball in the middle, and we were catapulted into the digital age through Pong. (laughs) And for the uninitiated, Pong is a game, basically that little white line, you had a toggle or a little dial you could turn and it moved that white line up and down on your side of the screen and your opponent, moved it up and down on their side of the screen, and that little white square in the middle was the ball, and it bounced back and forth, and you had to prevent it from going out on your side so you didn't lose points. That was it. No graphics, nothing but two white lines and a square ball, no color, and the only sound was a blip, blip, blip as it went back and forth. Believe it or not, we were thrilled. (laughs) And as exciting as that was, although, to be fair, not quite as exciting as actual real table tennis, but still, if we ever did get bored with Pong, but still wanted some video game interaction, what did we have to do? We loaded into the car and had to drive the arcade. Everyone under 40 just went, the what? The arcade was a storefront or a shop for us. It was at the mall and it was a it was a room, a store full of games, pinball machines and video games, cool things like Space Invaders and Donkey Kong and Street Fighter. If you wanted to play them, you had to come with a pocket full of quarters. And every game you played, you stuck a quarter in and tried to make that quarter last as long as possible. Now, my favorite game at that time was a game called Rampage. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but Rampage was a game you put your quarter in and you could choose one of three avatars. You could be the gorilla, you could be the lizard, or you could be the wolf. And when you put your quarter in, something happened, you... I don't remember what happened, but you grew to an enormous size and then walk this two-dimensional cityscape smashing things. You'd smash cars, you'd climb up buildings and smash buildings, and you gain points by the number of buildings that you crushed. And the people that you ate were falling out of the windows while you are combating the army that was trying to kill you. And you didn't want to die because that meant you'd have to spend another quarter to keep playing. And a quarter was a lot of money back then. Now, last week, Jeff introduced us to our theme for Lent. And he used the Leonard Cohen song, the anthem. And a line from that says, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets through. And it's a really good metaphor, a really good picture to help us understand that there, nothing is perfect. And in, actual fact it's our imperfections through which light gets through that's powerful it's also for me not quite violent enough based on my rampage addiction when i heard that quote by leonard cohen i thought that's really good and it reminded me of another canadian singer songwriter bruce coburn And in his song, Lovers in a Dangerous Time, he says, nothing worth having comes without some kind of fight. You have to kick at the darkness till it bleeds daylight. Now, regardless of your preference for those words, those quotes, they act as a metaphor. Light here, is a metaphor for life. And so as we lay that metaphor over top of our scripture reading this morning, the question before us is, what is the darkness to which this scripture alludes and what is the life that we are called to live as disciples of Jesus? So in my prayer and my study and preparation for this message, I uncovered some things. I learned some things myself. And I found some things that I think, for me at least, represent the dark places against which I must struggle. And I'm assuming because I struggle with these things, they are somewhat universal. And the first thing that I found is in this interaction between Jesus and Peter, Early on. Now, I don't know if you've ever been a teenager or ever lived with teenagers in your home from time to time or for any period of time, but if you have been or have done, you'll recall that there are times when teenagers get a little bit confused about the hierarchy of things and the order of things in the home. They get the idea that maybe they know best. And this is how it should be. And that's what we see happening here. Now, a little bit of background. In the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all follow a similar pattern. And up until this point, this point is a pivot point in the entire story. It marks the halfway point. But the halfway point in all of those Gospels starts... Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. And the bulk of the books are about what happens in Jerusalem and his trial and execution and all those things. And up until this point in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is presenting the kingdom of God in victorious and triumphant tones only. He's teaching, and people are amazed at his teaching. He's He's doing miracles and healing people with power and authority. And there's been no hint, no sense that anything is going wrong, that anything is going to change. And he's getting a great following. And then as they're walking together towards Jerusalem, Jesus knows where they're going and why they're going there. But no one else does. And that's when he lays it on them. The Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders. He'll be killed and after three days rise again. And that was a shock to the disciples and those listening. Like, what, what is this? And at that moment, Peter decided to undertake the role of a personal PR man to Jesus. Said, I don't know what's wrong with him. So it says it's in the scriptures that it, Peter rebuked him, took him aside, and it might have gone something like this. Uh, Excuse me, Jesus, can can I have a word with you in private? Actually, Jesus, that's not how things are going to go. I I don't know what's gotten into you. I don't know if you got up on the wrong side of bed. I'm not sure what's happened, but you're really negative, and this is not good. Like We need to stay positive. These people are following us. Things are going great. Please don't ruin this now. Peter had forgotten his place. He was confused about who was the master and who was the disciple. And that's the first aspect of darkness that I find myself fighting against, kicking against. I forget or fail to recognize that I am the disciple. Jesus is the master. Jesus responds immediately, says Jesus then rebukes Peter and gathers the disciples together and they hear it as well. Jesus understands this is new information. They don't understand it. They don't get why we're doing this. I need to clarify things to them. And so he does some of that clarification. And he says get behind me Satan get out of my way a couple things we need to understand about that little phrase get behind me Satan first of all it represents a temptation that Jesus was undergoing Peter was basically saying to Jesus hey you do not need to follow the will of God even though Peter didn't know what that will was Jesus did You don't need to go that way. There's a better way. There's an easier way. Look at all these people following you. This is going to be grand. Jesus dismissed that. That demonstrates to us that Jesus' temptation did not end in the wilderness, at the beginning of his ministry when he was, went away to be tempted. But it carried on throughout his life and throughout his ministry, and sometimes that temptation even came through those who were closest to him. Second thing we need to understand is that Satan, we have this mythical figure of a red guy with a pointy tail and horns and a pitchfork, but the term Satan actually means adversary. And when Jesus rebukes Peter, he's saying to Peter, get back behind me. Resume your place as a disciple. Get out of the way of God's will. Jesus understood that Peter and those disciples usually respond, as all of us, in flesh and blood terms, self-preservation but Jesus knew that he had a different a higher calling and that God was calling him to be something else something different something better although difficult and after he's gathered the disciples and then the crowd around them he goes on to say this If any want to become my followers or my disciples, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That's the second issue. That's the second aspect of darkness that I I feel like we have to combat against, we have to kick against. Nobody wants to deny themselves. Nobody wants to really have to take up our cross. And some of that has to do with we don't actually understand the terms. What does it mean to deny ourselves? It is not something that we put aside for a while so we get something better later. It's not like going on a diet so we have this amazing beach bot in the summer. Or we put a little money aside so we have some great retirement later. And it's also not talking about asceticism. Asceticism, the idea that I give everything up and I go live in a cave as a hermit and be miserable. That's not denying ourselves. God created joy, comfort, laughter, love for our enjoyment because God loves us. It's not that at all. Denying ourselves means that we are willing to take Our will, our agenda, and put it under the authority of God's will and God's agenda. And sometimes that might mean that things get a little uncomfortable for us. That it might mean that things don't go quite as we wanted or planned, and that's okay. What does it mean to take up one's cross? The cross was an incredibly powerful image in first century Palestine. The Roman Empire used the cross, used crucifixion to make sure that everyone knew who was in control, who had the power, and if you messed with us, this is what's going to happen to you. So when Jesus says, take up your cross, instantly that image comes to mind because they'd seen it and they knew. And in cities and towns across the empire, if they had a trial and you were convicted to be crucified, they would place the cross or a portion of the cross on you You'd have to walk it out because the soldiers didn't want to carry that thing. And you'd walk it out of the city somewhere outside the city limits where there was a road and lots of people would pass by and see this and know that this is your fate too if you cross us. And while they're walking, carrying that thing, beaten down, tired, exhausted, knowing what they're walking to, people along the road would look at them with derision and scorn and hatred and mocking and spitting. Jesus is saying, if you are my followers, my disciples, you can expect the same. You can expect people to treat you and look at you as if there is something wrong with you. Jesus does not say, take up my cross. Jesus is not saying that we all have to be crucified or that we'll all be martyred. He said they will take up their cross or take up your cross. Each of us will have a different type of cross. It will occur in a different way. But if we choose to follow the path of God, if we choose to fully embrace the life of a disciple, We're living counterculturally, And the culture, the people around us, maybe even people close to us or who we worship with will look at us and say, that's foolish. That's nonsense. And then Jesus goes on to ask the question. After he's told them what they can expect, he asks the question, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world and lose your soul or suke, your life? And the last aspect of darkness that I find myself kicking against is that I forget. Where I find myself compelled to pursue things that are temporal, that are temporary, that don't matter. instead of pursuing those things that have eternal and lasting value. When I get to the end of my life, when my time on this earth is finished and I stand with Jesus face to face, I want to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we ask ourselves, is there anything, anything that we would pursue in this life for which we would willingly exchange those words to have. Is there any possession that we have or want? Is there any status or notoriety or anything that we could do or desire? Is there any comfort we think we deserve that we would trade those words to have? Jesus is saying that would be a lousy and foolish trade. Tim Keller, I think, sums this up really well. He says this, If our agenda is the end, then Jesus is just the means. We're using him. But if Jesus is the king, we cannot make him a means to our end. We cannot come to a king negotiating. We lay our sword at the king's feet and say, command me. I see those things in my life that I have to kick against in order to allow the light, God's light, in me and through me those things that hold me back and prevent me from laying my sword at the feet of the king and saying, command me. I need the ever-present help of the Holy Spirit. And I need you, all of you, my new congregation, church family, to hold me accountable that I might not forget my place Remembering that Jesus is the master and I'm the disciple. That I might not neglect the need to deny myself and take up my cross. And that I might not pursue things that don't matter. And I wonder if there's anyone willing to join me? Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.